everyone. Welcome to the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at what's been happening in pharmacy over the past couple of weeks. My name is Richard Thomas. I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of our daily news service, Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. So wasn't it fantastic, uh, chaps, last week to hear those wonderful inspiring stories from pharmacy support staff in our Recognition of Excellence special edition of the pod. Uh, thanks again to Helena and Monica from Training Matters magazine for, for putting it all together. Um, rightful recognition for our very own key workers, assistants and pharmacy technicians and delivery drivers, such vital members of the pharmacy family. I, I thought it was great stuff. So um, well done all. We've Got lots to catch up on this week, though. So let's make a start straight away with good week, bad week. Well, it's been a, it's been an upbeat, more positive sort of a week for a change. So I think we should do good week first. Uh, Rob, who's been good for you? Hi there, Richard. Yeah, I, I'm going to leave the, uh, the 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 talking over the real big news to others. I think, but I'm going to pick out uh, one of pharmacies. I'm not sure unsung heroes, but I'm going to say it's been a very good week. Another good week for Richard Brown, the Avon LPC oh, yes. chief officer. Yes. Uh, so this week we've had the news uh, of another piece of work that Richard's been involved in. Uh, I think he's third this year. That uh, is worthy of note. Um, so everybody's been talking about how the evaluation for the GP referral of the community pharmacist consultation service is a, is a fantastic piece of work. And if you haven't had a chance to hear Richard talking about that and, and, and the experience of uh, pharmacists in Avon in the GP referral pilot, then I'd urge you to do that because it was really uh, cracking stuff. But this this week, we've had some news about another piece of work that he's done, this time for Community Pharmacy Wales, auditing the advice given in community pharmacies on a, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, it, it follows a similar piece of work that Richard coordinated, led on uh, whatever for uh, PSNC. And I think it, it's good news because, um, you know, data is important in pharmacy. And we we often say that we don't capture enough of what pharmacists are actually doing. The, 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 this advice is generally unremunerated. It's it's um, it's it happens because people come into pharmacies and ask questions about their symptoms or about their medicines. And uh, pharmacists and uh, members of the pharmacy team are there providing advice. So advice is really important. And it, it, the, the audit really is a reminder of just how much time is spent in pharmacies providing information and advice to, to members of the public. So um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's really uh, important that this is raised. And uh, we've, there's a story on the Pharmacy Network News at the moment about it. And I think it's uh, I think it's great. Uh, if we were going to do this again, I mean, two two points to just to mention about it. In a way, it highlights the data point being important. But for me, it confirms it would have been nice to have had a kind of baseline pre-COVID because I think we've all been saying that we think advice has been going up in pharmacies since the coronavirus hit. Uh, so we, it would have been nice to check back on on that. And the England and Wales data was broadly similar. Uh, 15, 15 interventions or 15 advice opportunities if that's the right word per day lots of savings of uh, potential GP and even A&E uh, appointments 
So uh, that's all good stuff. Um, the only thing I would say, if we're going to come back to this at some point in the future, it would be nice, I think, to find some way of capturing uh, information about what the advice is about. Is about. So uh, I've seen ways of doing that in the past. Uh, it would be nice just to have a, a bit of a breakdown on, on what it is exactly it is people are searching for and whether there are any particular things that are popping up. But no, that's a good week for me for Richard Brown. Good year, in fact. Well done, Richard. Yeah, R- Richard's been prolific hasn't he this year did, did um you know some significant bits of research I, I thought that was very interesting in 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 wales as well and it like you say rob broadly similar with with what uh, the data showed in england and i i agree with you i mean this is it's so important that we uh quantify you know the the amount of advice that is given by community pharmacies um and that you know to answer neil's you know, question from previous pods, what do you do with it? Well, it has to inform, you know, negotiations um, about funding and, and role development and everything else. And you, you, you can't do that until you've got, you know, some kind of quantitative idea of, of what's going on. So, yeah, this is this is all really important. And, yeah, it's a starting point, isn't it? What What is the, what's the advice give, being given on? Um, yeah, more research is needed. But, yeah, really, really important work by by Richard. And, uh, yeah, where's, where's Richard going to crop up next? Uh, he's very busy at the moment, but it's all good stuff. Um, thank you, Rob. Neil, uh, who's had a good week for you then? Brace yourselves for this. Uh, you, you, we are all, this is actually real and we're not dreaming this, but I'm going to go for Matt Hancock. Steady. Yes, I did say, I'll say it again, Matt Hancock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, Neil, we've got, we've got interference on the line. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought you said Matt Hancock. I, I, I did, Richard, yeah. I, I, even I can't believe I'm saying it, um, to be honest. He's um yeah he's to be fair you know he's had a, a it has been a good week for him he's um and, and quite an emotional week as well for him I mean uh, yes I think yesterday he was in the Commons gave a very emotional speech uh, about uh, I think it was his step step grandfather family member who he, he did pass away from COVID uh, fairly recently and obviously very close to him he, he was kind of welling up in the Commons and he was uh, gave a rather Churchillian speech um you know we must stop this virus his fist was pumping away you know and uh, even Boris was looking on in the uh, kind of stunned amazement at, uh, at that Matt Hancock he's nicked my shtick yeah pretty much yeah um but it was you know it was a, it was a rather kind of a, a, a emotional speech and um and, and and fair play to him but um I, I, it, it, a good week for him primarily because he's agreed to go on live on television I think he agreed with Piers Morgan, actually, on, on, on Good Morning Britain to go on live and to take the vaccine, the, the, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, um, live on air to, to sort of as a way of sort of trying to alleviate people's concerns around the safety and efficacy of the, of the vaccine. And, and you know what? I think that's a really good, a really good move from, uh, from uh, Mr. Hancock, because I think, you know, I think the more politicians we get, the more people are in government going on air, taking the vaccine. I'm not saying it's going to... Uh, you know, eradicate all reservations, and there are people out there who anti-vaxxers who just will not be swayed, unfortunately. But I, but I do think you know more people in positions of power that go out there and show that they're taking the vaccine and it is safe and it is efficacious. I think that can only be a good thing. So a great move, I think, from Matt Hancock. I hope he, I hope he follows up, uh, follows on, and does it. But um, a great move from Mr. Hancock. So yeah, my good week is actually Matt Hancock. I'm I'm sure Piers Morgan won't won't forget about this. And uh, no. yeah, I mean he, <laughs> he 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 was a bit um emotional. Yeah, I mean yesterday was a was a you know a, a, an interesting day, wasn't it? There was a real um, sense of positivity in the news coverage. And you know who could 
who could blame his blame him for having a you know a, a bit of a, a day in the sun. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a triumph for global science, really, isn't it? Rather than Matt Hancock, but like you say, put, putting putting himself up to be uh, to be have the vaccination live on television. Yeah, I think I think you know that that's a good thing to do. And yeah, fair play. <clears throat> he's had a he's had a better week uh, as our health as our health secretary. Do you think it matters that a politician does it? I mean, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a John Gummer moment, isn't it? Although he did actually feed that burger to his child. Um, and and, and uh, the Secretary of State isn't actually suggesting he's going to have his, um, you know, family members vaccinated live on Piers Morgan. Um, but uh, do you think it's that important? I think it. I think it is. I think it is important because I think that, you know, if our politicians aren't kind of following their words with actions, <clears throat> then then I think that certainly doesn't help to build trust. I don't think it's the most important thing, Rob, thinking about it, though. I mean, at the end of the day, it, this is all about, um, it's about education, isn't it? And, and trying to get informed consent uh, amongst patients. Yeah. And, and, and the way you do that, I, I think, is, is by giving targeted judgment-free information at the ground level, you know, and consistency in the messages. And actually, I think pharmacists here have a, have a massive role to play. So I understand, yeah, you know, it's, it's big gesture politics. I think you do need to do that. But I think that the, the, the way to address, you know, people's concerns about this vaccine is, is for pharmacists and people they trust um, to, have the, to have those kind of conversations with them on the ground. Did Piers Morgan offer to have it on live TV? He did. No, he did. Yeah, he he put it to Hancock, but he actually said. <laughs> I I think that's more. I think that's more important. I think that the, the, there's an issue about how many. If we want to get to as many people as possible with this message about a positive message about vaccination, who are the people that um, we should perhaps be talking to, who are not going to spontaneously like some reality show TV? Let's do. Uh, 20 people you know we've only got 12 vaccines which 12 are we going to vaccinate all that nonsense but um, who are the people who actually do resonate with the, the largest numbers of the public um, about getting this message across well, pharmacists uh, and I, I would suggest yeah. it's not necessarily politicians I'd say definitely not politicians they're not exactly no, they're not exactly known for no. being scrupulously truthful all the time no this is this is the point Thorin Thorin Govind was making wasn't it yesterday on, on on BBC, I mean, she was saying that you know that the people who who are probably who probably would have the the, the biggest impact in, in getting this message across and providing that information about the vaccine and, and alleviating concerns are are your, your community pharmacists. You know, they're the ones who are are the trusted pr- professional. They're, they they're the ones who can get the uh, can help people to make an informed decision about about the vaccine. She was absolutely right. Was. I, I, you're right. I think pharmacists have a massive role, but, but so does everyone. I think, you know, f- um, family members, you know, pe- people at the, at the grassroots yeah. within your community. And it's only by kind of talking to people and, and building people's knowledge and education um, that you're going to kind of um, get people fully behind this, I think. I mean, it's it's about trust, isn't it? Who do you trust? I wouldn't necessarily trust a politician. Hairdressers. I'd go with hairdressers. Well, well exactly. It's, it's people within your community who you trust that can give you kind of um, judgment-free information. And I, and I think, yeah, pharmacists, very much part of that. Having said that, you know, I think if you're not, if, a, if your health secretary or your prime minister are, aren't prepared to be vaccinated, um, and, and doing it live on television or whatever, I think you know you need that as well. But I wouldn't necessarily think that's going to going to convert the uh, convert the doubters. And, and Neil, and we have to accept that I don't think anyone's going to convert the anti-vaxxers. But I do understand if people would have 
concerns about, you know, safety um, and efficacy of this vaccine. And those concerns need to be addressed. And I think you, you do that at the, at the, at the ground level and, and pharmacists absolutely, you know, let's hope, you know, early in the new year, let's say that, that pharmacists will be involved in you know, administering some of these vaccines. So yeah, pharmacists have a, have a crucial role to play here. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to complain if, if Matt Hancock appears on the Good Morning Britain sofa and you know, to be jabbed. I think he should. Arthur, who's had a good week for you? Yeah, well, first off, I'm going to disagree with Rob. I would love to see a proper 1970s-style game show for COVID vaccinations. <laughs> like, hit MPs against one another and see, see who gets it. Um, my good week, I'm going to talk about, uh, there's a paper published in Research and Social Administrative Pharmacy looking at uh, community pharmacies' efforts uh, during the pandemic, particularly looking at how they've gone above and beyond for people living with dementia in their communities. Um, I think it's obviously been a very difficult and lonely time for a lot of elderly people, particularly, I suspect, for those living with uh, dementia. The paper, it's, um, it's based on 14 interviews with pharmacies across England, or across the UK, rather, and it uh, highlights things uh, people have done, like there was a team who worked like literally through the night to sort of backlog so that people would get their dementia medication uh, on time in the morning. And obviously, because a lot of people have been shielding, a lot of the stories focus on deliveries and how important it is that um, that uh, people get their medications delivered to them. But also, um, sort of people talk about uh, delivery drivers acting as uh, eyes and ears for the pharmacy, checking in on patients, uh, having a little chat with them, a little bit of social interaction. Um, I think what, what it really highlights is that sort of uh, local embeddedness, for want of, if that's the word, um, and that sense of empathy and familiarity with patients, which I think are some of the key strengths pharmacy has. So, um, so yeah, I thought it was a, it was a, good, um, a good piece of work highlighting some of the good work that pharmacies have been doing. Yeah, it's it, it, excellent piece of work, actually. Um, you know, going way beyond for dementia patients, like you say, Arthur. I, I was struck by that comment about the crucial role of delivery drivers as the eyes and ears of a pharmacy. We, and we saw that with the Recognition of Excellence Awards, didn't we? Delivery drivers, absolutely kind of crucial, really, is that kind of link between, you know, people at home or shielding or whatever and, and the pharmacy. And, you know, they um, some really important social social kind of contact that that, that these guys and, and, and ladies do during the deliveries. Yeah, and it's something that we don't always think about. I mean, when you think of a pharmacy, you think of the pharmacy, don't you? Yeah, we and, and we yeah, you're right. And I think that that crucial role often can get overlooked. And it it was nice to draw attention to, to it last week, but I think we maybe should, you know, keep draw more attention to it because these delivery drivers do do such a good job for, for their local communities and local pharmacies. So yeah, that was a good bit of research there, Arthur. Good story too. Um just underlines, doesn't it, that the vital role that, that pharmacies played, like you say, embedded in, in, in the hearts of their, their community. And it's good to kind of see that written down. Um, so, oh, me. Now, good week for me. Um, good week for community pharmacy teams in Scotland uh, who are going to receive a, uh, I think it's a no-strings-attached £500 Christmas bonus from the Scottish Government uh, as thanks for their efforts during the pandemic. And uh, I'm quite right, too. Um, tangible recognition there for the incredibly hard, hard work done by pharmacy teams. I hope they don't have to pay tax on it. I'm not sure about that. Um, but now, of course, the pressure is, is, is now on, isn't it, for, uh, for England and Wales to do the same. Um, 
I wonder whether they will. Uh, another quick good week. Uh, it's a good week for contractors and their teams in England because Christmas isn't cancelled. Yay! Um, pharmacies don't have to open on, on Christmas Day or on the other bank holidays like they did over Easter because of COVID. So uh, pharmacy teams will have a, a much-needed chance to, to rest and recharge in their in their family bubbles. Um, I should point out, of course, many pharmacies will be open during the festive season because Boxing Day is on a Saturday this year, so normal working hours. And, you know, there may be directed um, bank holiday opening from area teams, and that's just normal. But look, at least most pharmacists and their teams will be able to uh, to grab some much-needed time off over the Christmas period, and goodness knows uh, they need it. So, yeah, good week for pharmacy teams. Uh, in Scotland and in England. And after all that good news, I, I think I need to lie down. So now it's time for bad week. Uh, I'll kick off here. Um, it's been a bad week for anyone who thinks that the formation of a, of a battalion of NHS reservists is a good idea. That's one of the most crackpot schemes I've heard in a long time. But I'm going to say instead, uh, it's been a bad week for, for pharmacy businesses struggling uh, to pay the rent given the dire financial situation in, in pharmacy, uh, well, it, given the, the desperate state of affairs on the high street in general, it's been a brutal week, hasn't it, uh, for, for retailers this week. Um, so, yeah, we saw uh, this week, we saw Roland's Pharmacy join Lloyd's Pharmacy in seeking rent reductions. I think they called uh, their rents crippling was, was the quote. And we also had AIM highlighting uh, exorbitant rent increases on, uh, I think it's health centre lease renewals in particular. Now, one of the villains of the piece here seems to be NHS Property Services, who I, I hadn't realised was such a big player uh, here in terms of um, owning the facilities that many pharmacies occupy. Anyway, they don't seem at all keen to, to drop rents, but I, I think commercial landlords everywhere have to do some serious recalibration of expectations here and, and look at the reality of the situation. I mean, it's in no one's interest for pharmacies to close because of exorbitant rents. And as I say, it, it, it's carnage on the high street anyway at the moment. So I, I think it's time for a rethink here um, in, in commercial property and concerning rents. And it's, uh, what was that, what's that song? Um, I've got, is it, let's not lynch the landlords? Is that by the Dead Kennedys or something? I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, I'm not saying we should lynch the landlords. I think the Dead Kennedys nearly sang something like that. Aren't you, aren't you thinking of Hang the DJ by the Yeah, States? I could be thinking of that as well. <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know what I'm thinking, but look, I, I, it's, uh, it's a bad week, I think, for all those pharmacies who have um, unforgiving and I think, frankly, out-of-touch landlords. It's it seems to be the uh, like the the chains that are 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 talking about this. But what I've seen sort of on Twitter is independent saying, "Well, when the going was good, you out you know purposefully outbid everyone else so that you would get that that contract, and now you're sort of reaping what you sow." Um, what what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Actually, it does seem to be the the multiples that are are, are kind of complaining the most at the moment. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, Arthur. I think it's, uh, I think it's tough for everyone out there, isn't it? And I think you know, rents uh, are just one other aspect that that's affecting all pharmacy business, uh, large and small. And um, you know, you do you do wonder what the future is with with so much so many businesses going under at the moment on the high street. Um, and I don't know, I just. I, I, I can understand independence saying that, but similarly, I think NHS property services probably need to, to, to look at their stance 
as well. I mean, Neil, is this something that, that you've come across with, um, with, with your readers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, I, I was just going to make the point that, you know, I don't think the government, one of the things the government hasn't done, not just in pharmacy, but I think in terms of landlords, I don't think they've really, yes, they're, 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 they've, they've given support to landlords during this pandemic, but they haven't really given support to, to, to people paying rent, you know, right across the, right across the piece, I think. I, think they, they haven't, I, I don't think it's right to sort of phrase it as cracking down on landlords or, or whatever, the wrong way of putting it. But, you know, do you know what I mean? I don't think they've really sort of... Uh, looked at it from that angle i think some of the rates are exorbitant and and going up and and it's just unsustainable in this uh during this pandemic that's just not just in pharmacy i'm talking about right across the i don't think it helps neil that quite so many of the mps are are actually landlords yeah that was a good good point yeah absolutely there's a a massive number of them that are but i i I agree with you i mean i think and richard made a good point i think when you look at what's happened this week in terms of the uh, the high street arcadia debenhams uh, you know, the root of a, a lot of those problems is is the rents, and I, I think I think some of the things that the big retailers have tried to do, if you like, to to ameliorate the situation over the last nine months, we've seen an increasing trend of them trying to, um, you know, renegotiate leases and and move into this weird kind of legal position where they they essentially can 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 do something which which tries to reduce that but it's a huge problem and I think I think you know if you've got the same landlord for a number of properties which you're more likely to have obviously in a multiple I mean it's just it's just axiomatic isn't it then you then you're going to feel it but absolutely I'm sure that there are uh, independents will be feeling this as well but you know independents by definition will only have one landlord and that's not quite as big a story I guess yeah, I mean, yeah, the multiples of you with with their their the size of their estates are you know are gonna are gonna be feeling this. Um, well, yeah, we we we'll see where 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 that one goes then. Um, Neil, let's go to you. Who's had a bad week for you? Well, I think Poundland haven't had a great week. Um, I don't think this is anything new though. I think we've heard over the uh, over the years about Pound, Poundland's uh, um, what Sandra Gidley at the RPS described as irresponsible. Uh, these multi-deal packages they have, they, they, they have on paracetamol and, uh, uh, and, and you know, Sandra, Sandra has uh, urged the retailer to stop, the, stop, stop this immediately. And I think, and absolutely, well, I think we're all back uh, what Sandra's saying. Um, they've written to Poundland, the RPS, expressing their concerns over these multi-buy offers. Uh, they, they say it violates MHRA guidelines on the best practice for the sale of pain relief medicines. Um, and they've really gone in there strongly, and, and I think we're well. I certainly, you know, full support for the RPS on, on that one. Um, Poundland did respond to us, um, and they claim that they're not they're not operating outside the law, which I, you know, technically they're not. Um, I, I think it's a case of you know they should stop this. They should stop the uh, these multi deal um, offers on on paracetamol. It's not it's it's not a it's a, it's a very dangerous. Uh, um, thing that they're doing, but they're a business, and they will say that they're operating within the law. I think it comes down to um, how do how do we, you know, con- constructively, you know, get around this problem. You know, I think the MHRA probably have a role to play, but perhaps the government should be uh, sort of getting involved and in, and in, in, in stopping retailers doing this. And and um, you know, paracetamol is a very dangerous drug, as we know, it's t- taken uh, excessively. And and um, yeah, bad bad week for Poundland, really. Yeah, I, this has been a bugbear of mine for a long time. I mean, it's it's just grossly irresponsible to doing what they do, and I, I I don't I don't buy their excuses at all. I wonder, is this something that the regulators should be cracking down on, or does it just come outside the 
the remit of the GPHC. I think it would fall outside the GPHC, wouldn't it? Yeah, because uh, no, no, I don't think it does necessarily. But, but I think they are technically correct in that it's not illegal for them to do what they're doing. I was actually back in the day, years and years and years ago, um, partly responsible for the the change as it was then to to reduce it to two packs. I was in the Department of Health at the time, and we would you know, specifically concerned with, and Poundland should be concerned with, the issue of what's called parasuicide, which is not a, you know, not, not, not a deliberate attempt to do something, but an accidental where you, you know, you grab what you've got in the cupboard and, and you're, you know, you're quite right, guys. If you, if you bought, was it buy, buy two, get one free? I mean, it's not beyond the wit of Poundland to come up. If their excuse is, well, we need to make everything worth a pound, well, batch it with something else then. You know, buy to get, I don't know, where are we at the moment? Can you get vitamin D as a GSL? Seems to be something that will be quite beneficial to people in winter months. Whatever, you know, just use a bit of um, lateral thinking if you if your excuse is we can't sell something for less than a pound. But they, they do they do admit, I mean, Poundland told us, they do admit, however, that, you know, that there's clearly a discrepancy between current legislation and, and, uh, and, and the what they call the voluntary medical guidelines you know they they do they do see a discrepancy there which so they are admitting almost that you know in a way well okay we could be doing this a bit better but there's the there's the uh, you know there's how we do it there's how we get yeah. but there's no discrepancy with why this is why this is an issue and every time it crops up they get you know they get they get rung up and asked why they're doing it they they're completely aware of the issue and they ought to do a little bit of work and work out why it's an issue um, because it's a, it should be an issue for their customers, but they are putting their customers potentially at risk. Well, can I ask you, Rob? I mean, what, what do you what role do you think the Department of Health has here? Then? Do you think, that, or or uh, of government, wider government? Do you think what, what could they be doing here? Well, I, I I wouldn't be at all surprised if if they aren't getting a call. So um, I can re- recall on at least two or three occasions getting a, getting an email when I was at the CCA. I think, yeah, at the CCA, um, getting a phone call from the MHRA saying, we've been told that one of your members is um, doing two for one on on paracetamol. Uh, Can you get them to stop? Now, whether trade bodies can actually get their members to stop doing something if they're doing it. And so I remember, this is quite a funny story, actually. I remember just, I'm going to pay a little bit of tribute to my old mate, John Evans, who used to be the superintendent pharmacist at Asda. And so I wrote out, as I would do, wrote out to all the superintendents of the nine companies, as it was, saying, uh, look, chaps, you know, I've had this email from the MHRA. If you're doing it, remember the rules, stop doing it, right? You know, let's play the game. Now, I, I don't know whether one of the members was actually doing that, but, um, you know, you don't actually need to investigate and just say, look, we all need to abide by the rules. And I got... I, so I sent it out to the superintendents and I got back immediately from Evans an email which said, uh, buy one, get one free, not Asda, just everyday low price. A company man through and through. Arthur, let's go to you then. Who's had, who's had a bad week for you, Mark? Okay, I'm going to talk about the uh, registration exam. Uh, we finally have a date for it. It's going to be held on the 17th and 18th of March next year. Um, so this is for provisional pharmacists and those who are resitting the exam uh, from 2019. Obviously, it's great that after all this time, um, uh, we have we have have a date confirmed. If people have something to work towards, and I should say it's been held on across two days, 
so so that social distancing can be maintained in, in the test centers, which it, it brings me to my next point. It's being held in uh, physical test centers. Um, it's an online inverted commas exam, um, but it's being held in Pearson test centers. Pearson is the, the exam provider or supplier, um, which is, you know, all, all well and good. Just my, my question is, you know, why if the outcome of all this like months of fanfare about having an online exam uh, and, you know, and, and, and preparing for it and discussion for it, uh, discussions about it and sourcing the right supplier, like, is it not a bit funny that the outcome is just an in-person exam uh, held across two days? Could this not have been decided at the very, you know, much earlier on in the pandemic, the way they did in Northern Ireland, where, you know, people sat their, their exam months ago and I think 98% pass rate pass with flying colours. Would that not have been sort of preferable to this sort of months of uncertainty, particularly for, I think, the, the resitters who um, are, who are, you know, worried about potentially like de-skilling over this time and, and uh, you know, whether it, this is going to have a long-term impact on their earning potential. Um, it just seems that I mean, I mean, I'm I'm very happy to be corrected, and someone tell me, no, this is you know, it, this is necessary because X Y Z, but it just seems a bit a bit of a, a damp squib announcement for me. I was going to say, I think the GPHC have, um, generally speaking, during the pandemic, have been pretty pretty good. I think they've they've been a good regulator during this pandemic. I think they've they've met most challenges, but I think where they've where they've really, um, you know, screwed up is 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 this is the registration exam and. Uh, I, I think they've just been caught cold with it. I don't think they, obviously, I don't think they didn't see it coming. They, they weren't prepared for it. And when it did happen, they were completely like a rabbit in headlights. They just, I just, I think they were completely caught out by it, completely. But they seem to be kind of bullish as well about, I remember earlier, like a few months ago, they were sort of, oh, no, this is great. We've been talking about having an online exam for, well, we, anyway, we want, to, we want to switch to an online exam. But now it's sort of, I mean, it seems to be maybe they'll they'll be sitting on a computer, but they'll be in a test center. It just seems a bit a bit peculiar. Um, I think I think the reason they 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 say they're they're doing it in in person rather than in people's homes is worries about sort of uh, technology and web connections. And they don't say, but I I, I wouldn't be surprised if if the risk of of cheating is um, was another concern. But were all these not the immediate things you, you you would have thought about when you sat down to think about an online exam in the first place. Yeah, I, I agree with, with both of you. I mean, you know, to, was it, did you say March, Arthur, that these uh, these sittings are going to be? Yeah, uh, 17th wow. and 18th of March. So that's like, you know, that's that's virtually three quarters into to the year for these these provisionally registered pharmacists um, uh, with, a, with a solution that the GPHC could have done in the summer. Um, I mean, it, it just seems such a delay. And, and I think there's still lots of um, details that, that are yet to be confirmed, aren't they? So, you know, the um, uh, provisionally registered pharmacists still haven't got, you know, all the information that they need. Um, it's oh, incredibly tardy. And, and uh, you know, we just dis we discussed this before. Um, I feel so sorry for, for those caught up in this. This is a a terribly unsettling, you know, start to, to their careers. Um, so yeah, I it, it was a. I'm glad that there's a date, a date being set, absolutely, and and maybe we're kind of coming to the end of this saga. But but boy, it has been a saga, and and it's really affected a lot of people. So yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, Arthur. I think 
that's a, a bad week again for the GPHC. Um, Rob, then let's go to you for your bad week, please. Uh, yeah, Richard. So I think it's been uh, yet another really seriously bad week for Fleet Street. Well, it's not Fleet Street anymore, is it? Headline writers. I mean, for goodness sake. Now, first of all, I'm going to preface this by just saying, yes, I do realise that um, the current issue of P3 Pharmacy magazine does include the headline, The Only Way is Ethics. <laughs> Love it. Which for our Essex-born designer was a treat uh, that I didn't know he was going to get a treat because I didn't know he was born in Essex because he doesn't live there any longer. But anyway... But, and I know we're sort of looking back and, the, the you know, the, the Prime Minister is very keen to hark back to happier times, the sunlit uplands, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, yet another opportunity for the kind of jingoistic, lazy tropes. So, you know, every scientist is a boffin. Um, let's have V-Day because we've got the vaccine. We've even got in your boys took a hell of a beating. I mean, you know, I can't remember which football tournament that was from, but it was a Norwegian commentator, I think, originally. Anyway, all of that sort of stuff. I mean, can't you just, can't we just grow up a bit? My my personal bet, and what we've got the Express having a go, the Express deciding to have a pop at the EMA on the front cover because the MHRA, we we won it first and all this sort of stuff. And my personal favourite in the horror show is the Star's Jabba Dabba Doo. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> which is based around which is based around Fred Flintstone. I mean, God, for goodness sake. Rubbish. I, I thought Jab Jabba Dabba Doo is that I thought I think that's genius. Uh I tried to tell you one thing I, I did notice that that made me laugh. Um it was on the, the front page of the I think it was the no, it was the Telegraph. Um and it was a you know, you get these classic juxtapositions uh, in in the press publishing, which we, we know very well. And it, it's got this, it's got inside Alison Pearson, who's a very outspoken columnist. When does the NHS start protecting us? Page 28, right next to a massive headline saying NHS to start providing vaccine within days. So yeah, I don't think um I don't think the press has necessarily covered itself in glory. That's a, that's a good bad week. Uh, thank you very much, Rob. So, um, time for any other business. Um, we'll have to be quick with this, because I think we're overrunning running a little bit this week. Um, uh, well, I, I'll start here. Um, there's been, uh, well, the Talking Pharmacy Christmas Panto has already been cast uh, by our, our loyal listeners, believe it or not. And they've already suggested that, uh, that Rob, should play the part of Widow Twanky. Oh, no, they didn't. And, uh, yes, they did. Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> I just got that. Um, yeah, what they, 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 they said I should be Baron Hardup, and um, and I'll leave you to guess who the two ugly sisters are, uh, chaps. <laughs> um, moving on. Leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. Right. <laughs> Neil, uh, Neil, what have you seen this week? Then? I, just, I just love Jonathan Van Tam. I think he's a... Uh, Great entertainment. Obviously, we're talking about a very serious subject, but he's um, but he's great. I love the way he uses these. Uh, being a great, uh, a very um, a big football supporter, I, I love these. I love his uh, football analogies he comes out with. The one he came out with today was uh, in the first half, the away team gave us a battering, but in the seventh, but in the seventieth minute, we got an equaliser. We now need to see if we can nick the game now. So, and this is on the, uh, on, the on the vaccine progress. I just love these. I love these uh, football analogies. They're fantastic. 
Yeah, they're a bit <laughs> tortuous. But... Let's hope the coronavirus doesn't get Fergie time then. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, good, good. yeah well, well said, Rob. Yeah, uh, yeah. JBT uh, coming in, bit of a bit of a star, isn't he? Bit of a media star at the moment. Uh, Arthur, have you seen anything? Uh, I saw in South Africa the winning lottery numbers were five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, <laughs> uh, which I think twenty people have won uh, around in, in pounds about two hundred fifty thousand pounds, and it's it's sort of bringing that the conspiracy theorists on Twitter. People are saying, "No way, is this a coincidence?" Blah, blah, blah. So, um, so yeah, I just thought there was a bit a curiosity this week. Good curiosity, yeah, I like that, and. Uh... To finish off, Rob, what have what have you seen that's caught your attention? I haven't seen much, Richard, but I tell you what, there's a bit of maybe. Is there a bounce in this in the South African charts for steps? Hey, what five, six, seven, eight? Oh, <laughs> oh very good. Oh, keep up. <laughs> I agree. I agree. With, I agree. I agree with Neil. I'd like to see more of Jonathan Van Tam. I hope he's going to play a a big role going forward. I think he's 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 great, very down to earth, even with the footballing analogies, which is fine. Well, well done, Rob. Well, well rescued. Um, we were quite on weren't quite on your wavelength there, but uh, we were at the end. So yeah, thanks for that. And I think yeah, we'd better better bring uh, this pod to to an end. So um, my thanks as ever to to Rob, Neil, and Arthur. Uh, the pod is available on the the PM website and from all your usual download sites uh we set another record for the number of downloads uh, a couple of weeks ago so please keep listening comment about us like us recommend us to your friends and colleagues etc it's all part of the fun um we've got our christmas special to look forward to um and our review of the year that's coming up the week after next but for now from all of us thanks very much for listening uh-huh.